بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين ومن تبعهم بإحسان لا يوم الدين وبعد فقد قال الله سبحانه وتعالى في محكم تنزيله بعد نعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لقد من الله على المؤمنين إذ بعث فيهم رسولا من أنفسهم يسلو عليهم آياته ويسكيهم ويعلمهم الكتاب والحكمة وإن كانوا من قبل لفي ضلال مبين صدق الله العظيم My dear respected brothers and sisters, respected elders and youngsters السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayah karima in this noble verse I have recited in front of you has said لَقَدْ مَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done a great 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 favor upon the believers when he has sent a messenger from amongst them who recites the ayahs of the Quran upon them who teaches them the meaning of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who purifies their heart who does the effort of tasky on their hearts and before his advent, before he was sent down, they were in grave error, in misguidance, they were astray. So this is a favor upon us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has selected Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa and sent him down to be his prophet and final messenger. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi in his very nature, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given him that comprehensiveness, which is unparalleled. And he was complete from all, perspe- uh, all perspectives. His, the level of kamal in perfection he had is unparalleled and unimitable, unmatchable. And no one can ever claim uh, to come anywhere near Rasulullah with respect to how he completely dominated every field of human endeavor that is positive. And how he at the same time balanced between the huququllah, the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the huququl ibad, the rights of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we look at his public, uh, the public figure, how he was the leader of his nation, both as a minority in Makkah al-Makarramah, and as the head of state in Madinah al-Munawwara, we have both eras, the Madani Dhor and the Makki Dhor, the Makkan time period, and the Madanim time period. How he behaved, how he, meet, how he used to meet the leaders of different tribes, different nations, how he wrote letters to the emperors of his time, how he interacted with the heads of state, and how he himself served as the head of the Muslim state. How he was a judge in disputes, the judicial system, the executive system of the government, the legislative system, he, was, he received the revelation from Allah and his own statements were the wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well, the hadith. How he legislated the law, he executed the law and he interpreted the law. As we study in government, the three branches of the government, the executive branch in the office of the presidency, the legislative branch, which is served by the Congress. And then we have the judicial branch, which is the Supreme Court, which interprets the law. He, was, he did all of them in one. The Congress is the one that legislates the laws, makes the laws of the nation, and the president of the executive branch will be enforcing the laws as a commander-in-chief. And then the Supreme Court 
is the one that if there is a difference of opinion, then they will interpret Allah. Rasulullah was all three in one. When it comes to the armed forces, then he was the general leading the field. Subhanallah, he was not in the back. When it comes to the strategic planning, he was the leader of that mashwara. When it comes to the actual implementation, he was in the field. When it comes to salah, then he was the imam. When it comes to khutbah, he was the khatib. Subhanallah. When it comes to social services and the khidmah of people, then he was the one feeding the people. He was the one doing fundraising for different people who are in need. He was the one going and feeding the hungry, clothing the naked. Subhanallah. And this is the outer sphere with relations to other people. When it comes to personal relationship with Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, فَإِذَا فَرَغْضَ فَانْصَبْ When you get free from all of the other work, engaging with taking care of the people's needs, then do not rest after that and say, I have done the khidmat of the creation and I have served Allah by serving His creation and rely only on that. But rather, فَرَغْتَ When you are farigh, when you are free from serving the creation, فَانْصَبْ Then tire yourself, exert yourself in ibadah directly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not when you're free from giving fatwas, teaching people, educating people, advising people, counseling people, solving their crisis, raising funds for people, leading people, guiding people. After you're done with that, then you can rest. Nor is it just fa'bud, just worship Allah. But rather Allah Ta'ala says, fansab. Fansab from nasab means to exert yourself to the point of exhaustion. In fact, this same word we find in Jannah, when the Ahlul Jannah, the dwellers of Jannah will enter Jannah, they'll praise Allah and thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They'll say, Alhamdulillahi alladhi athaba anna al-hazan, inna rabbana lagafoorun shakur. Right? They'll say, all thanks to Allah, He has removed grief from us, and we will never be sad in this Jannah we are living in. Then, la yamasuna fiha nasab. We will not ever be afflicted with nasab anymore. What is nasab? The same, fansab. That is exhaustion. We will never be exhausted in Jannah. We will, we will never get tired of the blessing of Jannah. It will be a continually new blessing every single time. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exerted Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, When you finish serving the creation, tie yourself in ibadah in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa ila rabbika Now, this comprehensive nature of Rasulullah is beautiful. It's ideal. You have the most noble example in the personality of Rasulullah. But we have to be, this is ideal, but we have to be real. We have to be realistic. Is it possible for anyone to completely follow the footsteps of Rasulullah with respect to the comprehensiveness of his nature in all of these fields being number one? It was not possible even for the best of the creation after the Anbiya to Sahaba. And that is my actual topic for today. Is that even the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in, they could not necessarily excel in every single field, every single department like Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi did. Let it be clear that we have to make a very important distinction. When it comes to the obligations and the faraid, there is no divide and conquer. I am rich, I will give zakah, you are poor, you perform salah. We divide it up. I will give the zakah, you perform the salah. That is not the case. We cannot do that. Everyone has to perform salah, everyone has to give zakah. Aqimu salata wa atu zakata. These are faraid, these are arkan, these are the pillars of our deen. So when it comes to the core obligations, no one is exempted. We all have to fulfill all the obligations. But beyond that, in extra efforts, 
and striving for the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the path of Allah, gaining the proximity to Allah, gaining the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are many, many avenues to achieve that. And this is a crisis that we have, is that we do not appreciate the diversity in the efforts of deen, and we do not have mutual respect for the efforts of deen. Everyone who is engaged in any particular effort of deen, regards his effort to be the only effort, and the only correct effort, and the only acceptable effort, in the only worthwhile effort, and we, can, and we attack others who are doing the effort of deen in other capacities. And this is very destructive. We find the division in the efforts of deen, it began from the first generation, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in. These were the noble companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had protected Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi and all the Anbiya alayhi from committing sins, and they were ma'asum, they were divinely protected from committing sins, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had also granted maghfirah to the sahaba and they were maghfur, they were granted forgiveness. They may not have been granted protection from committing a sin, but they were guaranteed forgiveness for any sin they would have committed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised Jannah for them in the Quran. Allah has promised Jannah for them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, radiyallahu anhum radu anhu, that Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Allah. They are those who have been selected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And yet we find that they had different talents and they had different abilities, they had different potential that Allah had given them, endowed them with. And each one served Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala based on the abilities that they were given, based on the capabilities that they enjoyed, that they were blessed with. The scholars, for example, they give the example, uh, they say that, you know, Abadil al-Khamsa. I'm not sure if you ever came across this word, Al-Abadil or Abadil al-Khamsa. Abadil al-Khamsa means five Abdullahs. So they mention, this is just one example. We can continue to study the galaxy of the Sahaba and come up with many examples, but this is just one to start with. The Abadil al-Khamsa, the five Abdullahs. <coughs> that each one of them was unique. And each one of them had a particular field that they excelled in. We have Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. He was exceptional in the ittiba' of sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, following the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. To the extent that every major and minor sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he followed it to the extremest level possible. When we say extreme, that which needs to be followed, that which does not, is not mandatory to follow as well. The sunan ibadah of Rasulullah and the sunan al-adah. That which he did as a form of ibadah, of course. And that which he did as a form, as a, as a, as a, a habit, means habitually he did something. As a human being, he had a particular habit. There is no religious connotation associated with that practice. Yet, yet Abdullah bin Umar would follow in that as well. One time he was traveling and he came across a particular area and he, he just went in, into like a ruku and bowed down as if he's avoiding something and then after a while he raised his uh, back up. So somebody said, what happened? He said, there's, there's, no, there's nothing there. Why did you just move out of the way like that? He said, once upon a time you were traveling with Rasulullah and there was a branch overhanging here and he, got a, uh, he bowed down to avoid the overhanging branch. And I remember this particular scene, this particular event, and I was following the Sunnah of as he passed this particular area, that's what he did. This is just one example to suffice, to show the level of obedience. 
and Ittiba of Sunnah of Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhum. Then we have Abdullah bin Mas'ud. So if Abdullah bin Umar was Imam of Sunnah, so Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu was the Imam of Fiqh. Imam of Fiqh, deep jurisprudence and understanding of the deen. When Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu anhu conquered Iraq and Iran, the Persian Empire crumbled during the Khilafat of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Then Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he founded the cities of Kufa and Basra for the Muslims to reside in. And he sent Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu to be the mu'allimu ahl al-Iraq, to be the teacher of the people of Iraq. And he wrote a letter and he said that, Inni ahwaju ila ilmihi minkum. I am in greater need of the knowledge of this Abdullah bin Mas'ud than you are. But I'm giving you preference over myself by sending this great scholar to you. In Sahih Bukhari, there's a narration that somebody came to Abu Musa al-Ash'ari and asked him to divide up a complicated inheritance question. And he tried his best and came up with the shares. But that was presented to Abdullah bin Mas'ud and he corrected the mistake. Abu Musa al-Ash'ari said, Never again should anyone ask me any question regarding any dini matter as long as this great scholar is present amongst us. So he is a great faqih amongst the sahaba. He was Imam of Fiqh. Abdullah bin Umar, Imam of Sunnah. Abdullah bin Masood, Imam of Fiqh. Abdullah bin Abbas, Imam of Tafsir. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given him such a deep insight to the meanings of the Quran. That this Abdullah bin Masood we referred to earlier just now, who is the Imam of Fiqh. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثْ The blessings of Allah, you should declare it. And not out of fakhr and pride, but mentioning the favor of Allah upon me. Tahdithan bin ni'mati. I can say that Wallahi ma nazalat fil Qur'ani ayatun illa wa ana a'alamu fi man nazalat wa ayna nazalat. And I can swear by Allah there is not a single ayah in the Qur'an that has been revealed, but that I do not know where it was revealed and concerning whom it was revealed. Walaw a'alamu ahadan a'alamu bi kitab Allah ta'ala minni tanaluhu al-mataya la'ataytuhu. And if I know anyone in the world who has more knowledge about the Qur'an than myself, then I'm ready right now to begin my journey to travel to him, to seek that knowledge from him. However, na'am tarjuman al-Qur'an huwa ibn Abbas. Huwa ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. But I must admit, the true scholar of Qur'an is none other than Abdullah bin Abbas. So the person who is giving the testimony in favor of Abdullah bin Abbas is himself such a great scholar of Qur'an. The one that Rasulullah sallallahu said, "Man shaa yaqra al-Qur'an kama unzila ala Muhammad, falyaqra biqira'ati ibn Umm Abd." Radiyallahu ta'ala an hukma qala alayhi salatu wassalam. The Prophet sallallahu himself said, "Whoever wants to recite the Qur'an just like it was revealed on Muhammad sallallahu let him listen to recitation of Abdullah bin Mas'ud. And his recitation is just like how it is revealed on me." This was the shahada and certification given by Rasulullah sallallahu for Abdullah bin Mas'ud, but he is saying no. The Tarjuman of Quran who Ibn Abbas. The true scholar of Quran is Abdullah ibn Abbas. And why should it not be so? When he did the khidmah and served Rasulullah as a young boy, when he took a permission from his mother that can I go sleep over at my khala Maimuna's house when it was Rasulullah's turn to sleep there. And he planned it on the calendar, he found the date. And he didn't go to sleep over at his khala's house just to relax and play in games. But rather his whole intention was to do a sleep study. You know, when you go to the doctor, you have a sleep study. This was another type of sleep study that he sat in observation the whole night to see the night of Rasulullah what his habits of the night are, what are the du'as he recites. 
so he could learn. We see his practice in the day in the masjid, but we don't have an opportunity to see what he does at night. So this young boy who at the time of Rasulullah passing away was either 9 or 11 years of age. Uh, so naturally he was younger than that when he did this. He observed the night of Rasulullah when he woke up, which du'as he recited are narrated in the books of hadith. And when he saw the water that was ready there, that had been drawn from the well for his wudu, and a fresh miswak that was placed for him to clean his mouth, he was overcome and he said, who prepared this? Then he came out from the shadows. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I'm here to serve you tonight. Rasulullah was so overwhelmed. And this is what our elders say that one is, you know, you say dua, you know, you go ask and request the dua. And one is dua lena, right? Dua dil se nikalna. The dua came out from his heart. He didn't ask him, he didn't say, Ya Rasulullah, make dua for me. He did the action that the dua came out from the heart of Rasulullah and he said, Allahumma faqihu fi deen wa allimhu a ta'weel. Oh Allah, grant him understanding of the knowledge of deen and make him, uh, grant him the knowledge of the tafsir of the Quran. Allimhu a ta'weel. So Abdullah ibn Abbas became the Imam of Tafsir. And then we had Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhumah. He was the Imam of Zuhud in Taqwa. He was the Imam of self-abstinence. He was the Imam of sacrifice. He was the Imam of, of, of Tazkiyah. To the extent that his, he, he was such an ascetic and he was so much in his Zuhud that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa had to do reverse negotiation with him and tell him that your body has a right over you and your wife has a right over you your family has a right over you you have taken the he had taken the pledge and he was amongst the three who took the pledge and they said Rasulullah is so great and he is so beloved to Allah he does not have to do as much ibadah we are sinners we need to do more ibadah so they said I will never sleep at night and wallahi I will never eat in the day. I will continually fast every day. And the third said that I will never marry, come near any woman. Then Rasulullah came and consoled them. He said, I stand in ibadah and I sleep as well. And I fast some days and I don't fast some days. And I, get, I got married to women. So your body has a right over you. Your family has a right over you. They had to be told the other way around. This was Abdullah bin Amr ibn al-As radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. And then we have Abdullah again. Abdullah ibn Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu was Imam of Jihad. Physically striving the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His entire life he was a lion fighting for the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during the campaigns of Rasulullah sallallahu and afterwards in against the Roman and Persian empires. To the, finally he was actually attacked by Hajjaj ibn Yusuf and killed by him and his body was hanging in Makkatul Munkarramah. For an entire week, finally his old blind mother, nearing 100 years of age, Asma bint Abi Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, the older sister of Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu ta'ala anha, Dhatun Nitaqeen, the one who helped Rasulullah in the hijrah and took her belt and made two pieces out of it from her and tied up the goods of Rasulullah when he was leaving for hijrah with her father, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Very great an illustrious old woman of Islam, she came to this great tyrant, the one who killed tens of thousands of Sahaba and Tabi'een. And she had the courage and she said to him, that, oh Hajjaj, what are you doing? And, you know, the only difference between you and my son is that you have destroyed my son's dunya and he has destroyed your akhirah. Is enough, is enough, take my son's body down. 
So he got so afraid from her, he finally did take her, his body down and he was buried at that point. So this is Abdullah bin Zubair anhu, his whole life he fought for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's Imam of Jihad. So these are the Abad al-Khamsa, which is just a small glimpse of the galaxy of Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. Coming back to the original is that they are beyond these, we have 124,000 Sahaba. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had blessed them with individual talents that they all served the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in various capacities. Today in this day and age also we have different efforts of deen. All are required. Many have come in late, so just to make sure we are all on the same page. When it comes to the follow the obligations, we cannot divide that up. You know, that I will perform salah and you give the zakah. We all have to fulfill the follow the obligations. But beyond the follow the obligations, in the various sectors that are there for the khidmah and service of the deen, we cannot become masters of all. Jack, you know, jack of all trades, masters of none. We cannot fo- follow that model. We all have to find that effort of deen that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ha- uh, has given us the talents that we can make an effort in that regard. And we have to have the utmost respect and in understanding that all the other efforts of deen are required as well. There is an effort of deen of da'wah. Of da'wah, of revival of iman within the Muslim ummah. Effort of da'wah in tabliq. This is the effort of revival of the iman within the ummah. Those, insha'u talab fi ghayr talibin Creating the desire of deen that have lost the desire of deen. Very basic and important effort, the effort of da'wah which is required. Right. Meaning you don't have any ulterior objective. I don't ask any money from you. Means you go in those people who do not have the desire for deen. They're not going to come to the madrasa. The madrasa, the talib comes. By his definition, his name is talib. He has talib. He has desire. That's why he comes to the madrasa. What about the one who never comes to the masjid madrasa? Who's going to go and knock on his door? After the da'wah will take care of that. Right? They go to the people who do not have the talib. And deen ki talab paida karna. Create that talab and desire within them. This is the effort of da'wah. It's a very noble effort. It's required to create the effort of iman. Tahrik of iman. Iman in yaqeen. Which is the foundation of all the amal. As that is important. But after they gain the talab. After they gain the desire for deen. Then who is going to answer their questions? Who is going to teach them, educate them further? That's why we need the madaris. The madaris are those who have the talab now and the desire. They will come and gain the understanding of the deen. They will learn the deen at a further level. They will learn the deen at the fardain level. Then they will go beyond that and learn the deen at the fardi kifaya level. They will learn the deen which is required that we have certain individuals who are masters in the Islamic sciences and can solve the problems of the ummah and give them guidance from the Quran and Sunnah. So we need the madaris. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also, as He has given the ilm al-zahir, the external knowledge, He has given us ilm al-batin, the knowledge of the interior, the inner dimension. And this is called the tazkiyat al-qalb. So we need mashayikh that will focus on the tazkiyat al-nafs. Leave the external sin and leave the internal sin. Leaving the external sin, this is ilm. And leaving the internal sin, that is tazkiyah. So we require the mashayikh and tazkiyah for that. But beyond that, we have to do social services. So we need all of these agencies that are helping. We need those who are helping the needy, helping the widows and the orphans throughout the world. Each one has a particular goal. And then we have da'wah to non-Muslims, engaging non-Muslims. We have the political realm where we have different Muslim organizations helping 
for, to ensure that Muslims have their rights guaranteed and are protected. And if anyone is facing discrimination, then they come and provide their legal defense. All of these efforts of deen are required. And we all have to respect one another and recognize that we cannot do it alone. It's not about you know, me and myself and I. We have the needs of all. Uh, all of these needs have to be fulfilled. So when it comes to, we know these examples, Muslim Legal Fund or CARE, Council of American Islamic Relations, they are doing amazing effort in protecting the Muslim rights. And when it comes to madaris, then these madaris are producing the scholars that will be guiding the ummah inshallah and they will become imams and serve as teachers of Islamic studies. When it comes to even social work and taking care of the needs of people, there are so many different groups. They are focused on different particular areas. So you have, you know, Syrian children, they're focused on Syria. Then we have, you know, the Burma task force, they're worried about, they're working, helping the Rohingya. And then we have AMP, American Muslims for Palestine. So if, if American Muslims from Palestine, if they're not going to be concerned about Palestinians, and they're going to be doing something else, then who's going to work for the Palestinians? Now, this would be the height of our foolishness that Forget about ilm and tazkiyah and da'wah, even within, for example, social work. If the AMP, if somebody attacks the American Muslims from Palestine, then how come you're not concerned about Syria? How come you're not worried about Yemen? You don't think the Rohingya are Muslims? Shame on you. You have no campaign for Rohingya, you're worried only about Palestine. They're doing one effort. In, why don't you, if you feel and you have that much concern for Rohingya, then instead of just objecting and attacking them, then you need to, did they prevent you? If any organization says that don't donate for any other cause, don't support any other cause, we are the only ones, that is absolutely unacceptable and can never be defended. However, if every uh, body is working and striving hard in their particular cause, then what else can we expect from them? What else should we want from them? That is what they should be doing. American Muslims for Palestine should worry only about Palestine. They shouldn't take their eyes off of Palestine because they're taking care of that front. And because they're taking care of Palestine, that's why the Burma task force has the time to worry about Burma. And that's why, save the children of Syria can worry about Syria. This is just within social work. And then we have, you know, uh, Helping Hand or Islamic Relief has pretty much all over. But we have, for example, local uh, aid groups. They can worry about that. They can take care of the local homeless. The Muslims that are homeless or the widows or the women who are battered or you know, shelters for those women, they can take care of that. So we need all of them. You know, you can come up with examples. If the ophthalmologist says, I'm taking care of the eye, the eye is the, you know, the apple of the eye, the eye is the most important organ. Ophthalmologist, what about the heart? The cardiologist will say, I know, the heart is the pumping the blood. The neurologist will say, I'm the one taking care of the brain. So everyone, internist will say, I'm taking care of the whole body. I'm taking care of, you know, blood pressure, diabetes, everything. So we need all of these physicians. We need, you know, if you take any, you take a car, you need the alternator, you need the engine, you need the transmission, you need the steering wheel, you need the tires. We, all, we need all of them. And Rasulullah the example he gave was that they're like the body parts. You need the hands, you need the feet, you need the eyes. Each organ has its own duty, responsibility and function. And if they fulfill it together, then you have the successful body. We need the ruku' and we need the sujood. We need the, we need the qiyam and the qaida. Together we will have the complete Salah. But when you're engaged in one thing, you cannot go into another field. If you are in Sajda, what do you say in Sajda? Subhana Rabbiyan A'la. 
You say, is Surah Fatiha wrong? You don't think Surah Fatiha is virtuous? You tell me only do Subhanahu Bilal. I want to say, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. This is the Ummul Quran, the mother of the Quran. This is the Ummul Kitab, the best surah of the Quran. You're preventing me from reciting Fatiha. Shame on you. Brother, you are in sajda. The one who is in Qiyamah will recite Fatiha. You are supposed to recite Subhanahu Rabbi Al-Ala. If you know who Subhanahu Rabbi Al-Azim. If you're in sajda, it's something else. And the qada when you're sitting, at tahiyyatu lillah. Every single position has his stipulated dhikr. This example I remember in the Hidayat band when I was in the Markaz in Johannesburg going for one year in Jamaat. Then Mona Yusuf Biko, he was a great scholar. He said that you're going for one year to India and Pakistan and Bangladesh in the path of da'wah. So you will find different madaris, you want to go different, visit different shaykh. You'll find different khanqas, you want to go visit that shaykh. You want to go to different places. But you're going for da'wah, stick to da'wah. If you just, t- and then he gave this example, when you're in ruku, you, do, you say subhanahu bil when you're sajda, you say subhanahu bil you don't mix it up. So this might seem like, oh, he's such a hardcore, close-minded tabligi that he, he's against madaris and he's against khanqas. That is absolutely not the case. What is his own background? This Mona Yusuf, he's such a big businessman and with other supporters, he established a whole chain of madaris in Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Venezuela. One of my classmates, one of Muhammad Bunshi, is in Venezuela. And they go in the underserved areas, the entire syllabus, buildings, construction, maintenance, and salaries of all the staff come from South Africa. And they do complete free service teaching the deen, serving as imams and mudarris and teaching maktabs in about six, seven different South American countries. He has a whole web of madaris. The founder of this entire web of madaris was saying, when you're going dawah, just stick to dawah. Why? This is called istikhlas. This is called focus. If you're not going to be focused, you're going to be all over the place, you won't get anything done. And our teacher Mufti al-Haq said, in this zamane mein do cheezon ki zarurat hai, ikhlas or ikhtisas. In this era, we need two things. Ikhlas, sincerity, and ikhtisas, specialization. Focus on one thing, do it sincerely, and have respect for all the effort, other efforts of deen. And I conclude with one last advice of Nadir Khan Sahib. May Allah reward him. In Nizamuddin, he, when we were there in 2002, he said, you know, he was the head of the department of Urdu Adab, Urdu Literature in Aligarh University. So his, his Urdu used to be very high. And he said, Deen ki mehnatou mein kabhi taqabul na karna. Taqabul se tafadul lazim aayega. Or jab tafadul hoga, to deen ki mehnat ki tahqeer, tanqees, tanqeed, or intiaan, tardeed lazim aayegi. So I had noted down in my notebook his words. He said, do not make taqabul and start comparing the efforts of deen. If you make taqabul, then this will lead to laziman, it will lead to tafadul. Tafadul means then you will start giving preference to one or the other. Don't even compare them, because once you compare, naturally you will say one is better than the other. And once you say one is better than the other, then the better one is okay, but the one you said is not so good, then you will make tanqis, you will find, try to find false. And tanqeed, and tahqeer is you will look down upon it, you will think it is despicable effort, they are wasting their time. And intihaan tardid lazim At the end, it will continue until you begin to refute it altogether. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to have the wisdom of our elders and respect all the efforts of deen and do whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guided us towards. In nasa'iyakum lashatta. Your efforts are diverse. You are not all created the same. The five fingers are not the same. You have two children, three children. They are different. How can the entire ummah be exactly the same? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq to make amal. Wa akhir da'wan alhamdulillah.